Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Today also happens to be Veterans Day. This is the 11th day of the 11th month, November the 11th, 2019. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Paul Perot is here uh, helping to make it all happen. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. So um, on this Veterans Day, we're going to honor those who have served in the military throughout our nation's history. Just a reminder, there are... um, I don't know, something like 20 million members of the armed forces um, who have bravely served in uniform. President Trump is going to be in New York today to help uh, kick off that city's big Veterans Day parade. There will um, also be lots of other things going on today. Good opportunity, really, really, really good opportunity for you and I to acknowledge those who have served. Keeping in mind that uh, today is about the living and Um, And not the dead, even though I recognize lots of us also take note of veteran cemeteries on this day. We take note of um, those who have paid the ultimate price, made the ultimate sacrifice. We think of the families of those who have um, given their lives in service to this country. But today really is about um, veterans who are alive. Today is really about the living. And so one of the things I just want us to be mindful of today is that fact. And so let's be let's be sure that we are um, saying thank you to those members of the armed forces in our own families and uh, and certainly, you know, in, in the families of others. There are a few facts to know about Memorial Day. I mean, about, see, there you go, about Veterans Day that actually the U.S. Department of Defense wants us to know. They have posted on their website five facts to know about Veterans Day in relationship to its observance. And so I thought that since they had taken the time to put together the five facts they want us to know, hmm, I'd let you know what those are. First of all, Veterans Day does not have an apostrophe. I find it very uh, curious and clever that this is the number one thing on their list. So <laughs> it's a, even though lots of kids are not in school today because of Veterans Day, uh, here's a grammar opportunity for us. Veterans Day does not have an apostrophe. It's Veterans Day, not Veterans Apostrophe Day or Veteran Apostrophe S Day. It's Veterans Day. Uh, It's just the plural form of the word veteran. It's not a day that belongs to one veteran or even multiple veterans. It's a day of honoring all veterans. Veterans Day is not the same as Memorial Day. This is number two on the U.S. Department of Defense issued list of five facts to know about Veterans Day. Number two, Veterans Day is not the same as Memorial Day. Veterans Day honors all of those who have served the country in war or peace, dead or alive, but mostly intended to thank living veterans for their service. Uh, Memorial Day, as we all know, is a time set aside to remember uh, specifically those who have given their lives in battle or or from the wounds suffered in battle. But today is a day uh, to thank the living. It was originally called, this is number three, was originally called Armistice Day, commemorating the end of World War I. We're going to talk about that at length later in the program when Bill Federer joins us um, from This American Moment, This American Minute. 
On number four on the list, Veterans Day was originally set for the fourth Monday of every October, uh, which it doesn't say here, but would kind of conflict with um, the week that we ordinarily observe Halloween. And so I suspect, you know, might be something to that. No, no, probably not. The first Veterans Day uh, under the 1968 bill did not take place until 1971. The day uh, anyway, it's it's one of those shifty days, dates and time. But um uh, it no longer is a particular day in terms of like fourth Monday of every October. It is now always on November the 11th, no matter when November the 11th falls. So there you go. And then other countries also celebrate it. I thought this was uh, the fifth fact on the um, on the list, and I thought this was um, this was fascinating. Uh, the World War One obviously was a multinational effort, and so there's celebrations around the world on November the 11th. In Canada, in Australia, it's called Remembrance Day. In Great Britain, it's called uh, Remembrance Day, uh, but also serves uh, or is celebrated on the Sunday closest to November the 11th because it it serves as um, as a national holiday as well. They have parades and services and two minutes of silence in London to to honor those uh, lost in war. All right. So um, in the 11th minute of the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month is uh, is kind of intended to be a time when you and I would take a moment. And so. Whatever uh, you're, you were planning to do at maybe like 11.11 this morning on 11.11, maybe you go ahead and set your phone to alert you that ele- at 11.11 this morning on the 11th uh, hour of the – or the 11th day of the 11th month, take, a, take some time. I mean, you know, take a full 11 minutes if you feel like you can uh, honor veterans in that way. Uh, but at least take 11 seconds, right? I mean, let's, let's take some time today. To acknowledge the service of those um, in every branch of the military, in every generation, all uh, across the course of uh, our nation's history, and uh, and thank them. Thank God for them. Indeed, uh, pray for them, that the Lord would uphold them with his mighty hand, that he would protect them from harm, that he would guide their steps, extend his liberating mercy through their presence in the midst of war-torn realities around the world even today, that the Lord would bless and keep them, that the Lord would make his face to shine upon them and be gracious unto them, that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon them and give them peace and through them extend real peace to others. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. headline that captures our uh, attention and it's probably going to capture uh, lots of conversations this week and yet the news media will absolutely not be talking about it. So Emma Watson uh, is a name certainly known in the culture. Um, you may you may recognize her from uh, from Harry Potter. You may recognize her as a UN Goodwill ambassador. Uh, and she gave an interview to the British version of Vogue in which she talked about um, being single, although that's not the language that she uses, uh, as she approaches her 30th birthday. And so um, she is a, you know, she's a physically beautiful person, and she's obviously an an accomplished actress. 
Uh, she is a person who is well known. And so, um, you know, you might think to yourself, well, by 30, she might she might well be married. Right. Well, uh, Emma Watson describes herself not as single. Just brace yourself in case you haven't heard this yet. She describes herself as self-partnered. She is self-partnered. Um, she said, you know, I never believed the whole, quote, I'm happy single spiel. Uh, I was like, uh, that's totally spiel. It took me a long time, but I am very happy. And then she paused um, where you might insert the words being single. And instead she said, well, I call it being self-partnered. I'm very happy being self-partnered. Now, you you could have lots of conversations about that, and I am certainly not going to um, in any way suggest that everybody needs to be married by the time they're 30. I didn't get married till I was 40, 40 something. So, um, uh, but I do want to talk about the term she's using and the way she is describing this relationship with the self as being fully sufficient. Because, uh, although she's not saying, Hey, it's good to be alone. That is not what she's saying. What she's saying is, I I have enough relationships within myself. Just pause there for a moment and consider that. I have a sufficiency of relationships within myself that I don't need. I don't uh, require ex- an external relationship like marriage. So just pause there for a second. She views her relationship with herself as the only relationship that is necessary. That is what the concept of self-partnered means. So the self, self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, self-affirming, um, everything centered on the self. Does anybody listening hear any danger in that? Do you hear some danger in a life that is um, described as fully self-sufficient? I mean, certainly from a Christian worldview, we recognize that that is uh, ridiculous uh, to to take a Harry Potter uh, – what do you call that? Where they take their wand and they wave it around out there. It, anyway, there is one that's you know based on the term ridiculous. So, um, spell I think is the term I'm looking for. Newsflash: uh, It is not all about the self. It is. It's just not. Life is not about the self. It's life is. It's not about me, and it's not about you. None of it. It's actually all about God. We matter. We matter. You matter. I could just pause right there and just say you matter because. Maybe you need to be reminded of that today. You matter. How do I know? Well, I know because God created matter, and you and I are matter, and matter matters to God. How do I know that? Well, he bothered to create it, so let's start there. Uh, And so it matters. Matter matters, and therefore you as matter matter. But you matter more than just matter. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the taking on of human flesh, the dwelling among us, the giving him himself in sacrifice for us as an all-sufficient atoning sacrifice that we might, what, be restored to a relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. Why? Because we are not self-sufficient. We're not self-rising. We're we're not, we're not, the self is not enough. You matter. You absolutely matter. But the matter isn't enough. We're not self-sufficient. We matter because God has made us, and we are his. We are significant in in God. We are significant in a restored relationship to God. Uh, What we do is significant in relationship to God. Our our 
uh, our life has gravitas, glory, weight, weightiness because of God. It occurs to me that we can introduce into this conversation the reality that male and female matters. Male and female matters because somehow in some way the relational complementarity of being male and being female somehow in some way reflects something of God's image in ways that could not have been achieved except through this particular aspect of God's design. In his image, he created us male and female. Therefore, being male or being female matters, not because it not because of the self, but because somehow, somehow that relational complementarity of being male and being female distinctly, individually, uniquely, somehow that reflects uh, something of the image of who God is. It's about him. It's not about us. Same is true of marriage. It's about him. It's not about us. From Genesis to Revelation, God takes a bride. Marriage is not first nor foremost about us. It's first and foremost about God. Marriage reflects something eternal. What the marriages that we experience here are are only intended, first and foremost, and only intended to be a reflection of this eternal reality of Christ and his bride, the church, somehow, some way. We're supposed to be imaging here that eternal reality. Same is true of the sacred trust of children. You know what? Kids kids are not about us. Kids aren't even about themselves. I mean, I mean, I know they think they're about themselves, but it it's that's not what it's about. Uh, the the raising of a child is in no small measure about learning, learning about the experience of the father. Who has ever had a child at risk of death who has not laid before God and offered up their own life instead? I mean, who hasn't done that? Of course we have. And who, when their child was lost or wandering as a prodigal in the world, has not entered into some very, very dark places in order to save them, even from themselves? Of course we have. Why do we do that? Because it's godly, because it is of the Father. It is the Father's heart. It is how he comes after us. It is how he pursues us. It is grace. It's not about having kids or raising kids. It's about experiencing what God experiences in relationship to us. And who, if, if their child has, if your child has rejected your love, if your child has rejected your love, who has not continued to love anyway? That is literally godly. We're not who we are in relationship or in, in relationship to each other. Uh, we're not raising the kids we're raising through birth or adoption for us. It's not about us. But that we and others might come to see and know the reality of who God is and what he's like. That's what raising kids is about. That's what marriage is about. That's what uh, being male, distinctly male or distinctly female is about. That's what being in relationship with one another is about. So last week I went home to Indiana. I shared that with you. Spent some time with my extended family to celebrate. Now see, some would say to celebrate the life of my Aunt Marilyn. Well, her life and her life in Christ was certainly the impetus for our gathering. But what we celebrated was the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's not about us. You don't lay, you do not lay a loved one in the grave and, and it be about them. Because at that point, they are just dust. All right, uh, Paul's reminding me, I got to take a break. I completely forgot. Taking a break, we'll be back.
Okay, so continuing um, my uh, my conversation with myself and you this morning about the experience of returning home. Uh, and again, I'm just going to ask the question, when I say the word home, where does your heart go? I, I think I posed that question in the middle of last week as I was sharing with you that I was going home to Indiana to, um, you know, we, we use the term funeral. It's really a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications that his resurrection has upon us. But that's a mouthful. And so we just use the word funeral. But uh, I was going home to Indiana. And when I say the word home, where does your heart go? And so when I picked up my sister at the airport in Indianapolis on my way north to West Lafayette, where uh, the services were held, I asked her that question, you know, as we're driving through the cornfields and uh, they're, they're fallow now for the most part, although there is some late harvesting going on for seed corn up there. Uh, and I, uh, I said, so, you know, I said, so I said this on the radio and um, when I say the word home, where does your heart go? And she's like, there's just no question. It's, it's right here. Now, my sister and I have lived a lot of places uh, over the course of our lives. And for we spent most of our growing up time in Tampa, Florida. And I really thought my sister was going to say Tampa. I thought that was where her heart goes. But her heart also goes to Indiana. Isn't that weird? I mean, like, there's a little weirdness to that, I think. But it's where our heart is. And so uh, it's where our father is buried. It's where our grandparents are buried. It is, um, it is home. It's where our people are. And so uh, it, it provokes conversations. Death provokes some really important conversations, but they don't just provoke, it doesn't just provoke conversations about the one who is dead. It provokes conversations about the one who is alive again and in whom we have the possibility of being alive again. And if you're not in a relationship with, uh, with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are yet dead in your sins. And that is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. So in terms of where you are in the Word today, this is where I invite you to be. I invite you to be in 1 Corinthians 15 today. Why? Um, because if we don't understand what Christ has done for us upon the cross and its implications for us, not only in death, but in life, then we are not really Christians. It is that simple and, and that complicated, I suppose. So 1 Corinthians 15, and you're, I need you to read the whole thing, but I don't have time to read the whole thing this morning. So I'm just going to pick up at verse 50. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I declare to you, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Which, you know, you know, Paul is saying, look, your body matters. You matter. You know, you're, you're not insignificant. But uh, if all you are is flesh and blood, then you're going to be dead in your sins. And when you're dead, you're going to be dead. And that's going to be it. Because that which is perishable, this fleshly tent that is, you know, moment by moment de- decaying away, it, it can't. It can't. It, it's it's just flesh. So then he says in verse 51, all right, listen up. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. He's referring there to death, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Friends, the sting of death, and this is Paul, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What you do today matters. Matter matters, and you matter. 
But you matter, and matter matters, and what you do today matters because of Christ. It matters because God is. It matters because there is something beyond what we see right now, and the veil is thin. And I don't know about you, but heaven is becoming every day more and more real to me as it is increasingly populated by people I have known and love, people with whom I have been in relationship in this life and in this time and will be so for eternity because of Christ. Self-partnership, that's just silly. You and I need to be reconciled to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit and then live our lives as if they matter because they do for Him. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? So we like to talk with... uh, with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News on a regular basis. And uh, today we are going to talk with Ruth about some hot spots around the world, uh, experiences that Christians are having in those places and conversations about our sisters and brothers who are deployed serving in these locations. So we're going to uh, touch on what's going on in Mexico, but also Yemen, Lebanon, and if we've got time, Algeria. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever eaten ice cream right out of the carton? My favorite is mint chocolate chip. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, there's nothing better than digging right into that cool, creamy treat. It satisfies my sweet tooth. But here's the thing with eating ice cream that way. It is easy to eat too much. Before you know it, one more bite, well, it's turned into three. It's tough to stop, even when you've had enough. And life is like that, too. You crave things you don't need. One thing that works for me to curb the cravings is to ask this question before I buy something. Is this a need or a want? And once in a while, it's okay to splurge. But if you do it a lot, you run the risk of not being able to buy the things you really need. So enjoy that ice cream. But know when you've had enough. This approach to life will help you be more confident, content, and generous. I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Talking again this morning with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the stories that we're talking about today at MNN. That stands for Mission Network News. MNNonline.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you so much. Thank you and good morning. And it's been a while. So we, um, this will be a true confession, we actually talk about some of your headlines with other people when they're on. I, I had a conversation last week with Drew Griffin, and I'm like, hey, can we talk about this story on MNNonline.org? And he's like, sure. So anyway, we uh, we don't just save your stories for our conversations here and now. We, uh, we use your website um, in much of what we do uh, all throughout the week. So thank you for your ministry. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for using it. And really, it, it it's um, something that really pleases me to know that uh, other people are, are getting exposed to this because the whole point of Mission Network News is giving you stories that look at the current events through the lens of the Great Commission. Amen. And you do so globally and you help us uh, connect with brothers and sisters around the world who are you know deployed by God in places that many of us are thanking God he hasn't sent us. Right. I mean, that's just the reality. That's just the truthful reality. I'm so 
thankful that God has sent people into these places um, and spaces. And it's my responsibility as their sister in Christ to not only pray for them, but to come alongside them in every other way that's possible. So lifting up their stories is really, uh, just, I just think, critically important. So thank you for how you do it. Let's start in Mexico. Um, people have very likely heard the news related to the ambush of uh, these women and children who were caravanning uh, through the Sonoran part of Mexico uh, from their, what I will describe as commune, um, from the place where they live in community with one another uh, to another community where they were going to attend a wedding. And they were ambushed by what we certainly now believe are a part of uh, Mexico's drug cartel gang warfare, um, and they were slaughtered. So many people know that much of what's going on. Tell us um, tell us more, and then give us a sense of uh, the experience of of Christians in this region as well, because these these folks would not identify as such. Right. Well, the people that were involved with this tragedy uh, are from the Mormon community. Um, but the reason that we're discussing it at all is it's just because of the nature of the slaughter that took place. I mean, this was this was something that reflects the brutality of the drug cartels in Mexico and the concerns that people have about the security because the government of Mexico has not successfully uh, gotten in front of all of these issues that are causing so many problems and basically causing the state to fall into instability because they're just not able to confront this. The U.S.'s response is trying to put pressure on on the Mexican government um, to deal with it, and that includes sanctions. So this has gone from more than just a crime uh, on a local family to something that is involving international communities uh, because the issue transcends borders, because you're talking drug cartels that um, are so involved with uh, human trafficking, they're involved with uh, the sex trafficking, they're involved with the drug trafficking that goes back and forth between uh, the countries. Uh, and, and there has to be, at some point, security to protect the borders. Uh, but this is not what the discussion is about. The discussion is about how believers are uh, trying to respond and offer us an opportunity to to really respond to this story. Um, mm-hmm. Because while it's it's a horrible story, there is hope on the other side. So one of our partners is Mission Cry, and uh, their ministry takes uh, basically repurposes um, unused Christian materials. So if you have like commentaries and old Bibles, extra copies of Bibles, uh, you send them to this ministry. They make sure everything's cleaned up and and presentable, and then they ship them out to partners around the world. One of their partners is in Mexico, and this partner is longstanding relationship. So they have invited the ministry to come down to Mexico, and they've kind of created a whole event around uh, kind of what we would call an evangelistic meeting or a festival or something along those lines. They're expecting crowds of 10,000 people in Sonora, in this region where this attack just took place. And they're really calling it spiritual warfare. They're calling together to pray, to worship, to evangelize, to share the gospel. And uh, they're still doing it, even though there is some concern about security. So one thing that they're asking us to do is to be praying for them because there's a lot that they're going to be dealing with while they're down there. Um, I guess another aspect of it is uh, considering the getting in front of the the, the problem. Um, our friends at Keys for Kids Mm-hmm. They acknowledge that there's no easy answer to situations like that. There is no simple solution. Um, but he says, really, what we're seeing here is human nature. It's the sin nature. And apart from Christ, 
this kind of stuff is con- going to continue to happen. So how do you deal with sin nature? And and really the question that you ask when when he says sin nature is really is it that easy? It's it's like the the simplest complicated answer ever, right? Um, well, it, right. I think that let's let's set the conversation up this way, Ruth, because I know where you're headed. Um, kids feel unsafe and afraid when we hear stories like this in the news and they have heard this story and they have heard about these children and they have heard about the slaughter of these moms and, you know, and these babies. And so how do we talk with them in an honest way about what is going on? And that's what the keys for kids article is really about. And I thought that was tremendously helpful. So it it is about sin um, and it is at some level that simple. Like for a child to to be able to explain it to a child in that way is actually probably the right way to do it. They are not going to understand the complexities of gang warfare produced by drug cartels that are dependent upon the American drug market that's really produced by the opioid crisis. It's really about big pharma. Like kids are not, you know, they don't they don't care. This is irrelevant. This doesn't matter. This is not about a border. Like this is about kids um, and their moms targeted maybe or caught in the crossfire, possibly, um, but nonetheless slaughtered, you know, in their cars on the road to a wedding. And for kids to be able to, for us to be able to say, this is ultimately about sin. And sin is ultimately answered, um, you know, paid for by Jesus. Like for kids, I think that is the right answer to the question. And it is that simple. It is. And and the other thing that that Keys for Kids is saying is um, they have resources to uh, reach kids in places like Mexico. So a lot of their devotionals, a lot of their um, information that is available is available in Spanish. And they're encouraging people to let them know, to let partners know, to take the storytellers, the solar-powered uh, audio uh, Bibles with the devotionals to Mexico. If you have ministry in Latin America, if you have friends down there, to get this stuff to them and, you know, in a way, encourage them to share the hope of Christ through these stories, through these resources. There's the Spanish website that also encourages people to to get involved with that, to interact with not only the, the, the scripture, but the stories that illustrate the points of scripture. And in so doing, um, when you see kids respond to that and their hearts change, you eventually see bigger change happening. And, and that's getting in front of the crisis. Okay, for people who aren't familiar with this, this I'm going to call it a device. It's uh, it looks like um, it almost looks like a little cell phone, for lack of a better description. It is the solar powered MP3 player. It's called Storytellers. You can check it out at keysforkids.org. The link, the Storyteller link, is in uh, the article at mnnonline.org. Um, but Keys for Kids. Dot org is uh, is the website of, of the ministry affiliate that Ruth is talking about right now. And this is really cool. There are hours, hours of Keys for Kids stories uh, and a complete audio Bible, and it's solar powered. So for kids who don't have access to anything in print or computers or a way to recharge something, they don't have batteries, they don't have been blah, 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 right? I'll, I'll go down the list. This is a really um, incredible way to not only put the scriptures, but put, to put the stories of the scriptures in literally in the ear. Like, how are they going to know unless somebody tells them, well, here is a way for them to be told. I just, I love it. I love the oral nature of it. I love, um, I just, I love the whole thing. So anyway, so uh, 
Ruth and I have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, what's going on in Yemen. But in the meantime, check out what uh, what we just talked about at mnnonline.org uh, in the efforts to continue to reach people with the gospel, even in places where you know sin is real, which frankly is everywhere. All right, we'll be right back. Returning to my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can check it all out at mnnonline.org. Um, Ruth, I'm just going to let you um, let you tell us what's going on in Yemen. Have an idea of what Yemen is, where it is. Um, it's in the southern end of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, it's actually the second largest sovereign state in the peninsula, and it's got a coastline of about 2,000 miles. You've got Saudi Arabia to the north, Oman to the east, and the Gulf of Aden to the south. So it's sort of that landmass that we're going to be talking about here, and that cult that uh, that coastline of 2,000 miles is key for all of this stuff that we're talking about with the the uprising, the fighting that's going on, um, the difficulties and the conflict that, that are involved here. Um, this conflict goes back to um, the Arab Spring, 2011. I'm not going to cover all that history, but suffice it to say that somewhere in there, you had this rebel band, uh, the, the Houthis, uh, that decided they were going to try to take control of certain key parts of, uh, of the country because things were so unstable at that point. Uh, and then you had the government coming back to say, no, we're not going to let you take control of this stuff. And it, it just kind of went from there. So um, within those groups that are fighting each other north and the south, um, you have infighting and fight for, you know, people vying for control over uh, the group's movements as a whole. And to add another layer of complexity, you have the Houthis uh, who are really Shia-backed and the government, which is Sunni-backed. So now you have the Sunni-Shia conflict going between the two branches, the two sects of Islam going at each other. And then you have the countries that back those different sects that are involved. So now you're having a proxy war, which is kind of dragged into the whole mix, uh, the power of Iran, which is uh, Shia, and the power of Saudi Arabia, which is Sunni. And that's what's fighting for control over Yemen. The fighting has been so bad now that I, I kind of think it, you know, of it as a, a couple of dogs wrangling over a bone. There's really not much of a bone left. Uh, so whoever wins has a lot of um, reconstruction to do for the infrastructure of the country because there isn't really anything left. This conflict has been so uh, difficult that it has kind of created the world's worst humanitarian crisis. You have about um, eight and a half million people at risk of starvation about 75 of the population, 75% of the population needing some kind of humanitarian assistance with uh, starvation, basically threatening 400,000 children under the age of five years old. Plus, you have the world's largest cholera outbreak uh, right now raging through that country. That's what they're facing. So when we say that Yemen has signed a peace deal to try to settle the infighting and try to uh, work with the separatists to basically settle things down. Um, it's a big deal. Uh, there's nothing simple about this conflict, as I said, and, and it may not hold, but the hope that was created by both sides being willing to work with the infighting and, and just try to 
address the, this conflict um, and the humanitarian crisis it's created has been a huge uh, encouragement to those that are watching this. Now, this area is also extremely difficult for Christians. Um, you know, about 15 years ago, the government got wind uh, that there was some Christian activity going on, and they basically kicked all of the Christians and the, the foreign missionaries out of the country. So things that have been happening in Yemen have been happening underground and very quietly through networks that are more humanitarian-based, but faith-based humanitarian uh, work is, is taking place. So a lot of the partners that are in Yemen are doing their work very quietly, but they're always asking us to pray for them because it's an extremely difficult situation. Um, the inflation rate fluctuates wildly, so the price you negotiate for bread in the morning may be three times the cost in the afternoon. And so it's hard to budget for things. It's hard to do really anything in Yemen because of the security issues. So our partners are just saying, please be praying because it is a very complex situation. It's difficult. Um, it's not easy to explain in, in five minutes, but I did my best. No, you did a great job. Um, it's not, it's incredibly complex. I think that when we, um, when we are praying, let us be praying for this to be a piece that now has some substance and then that the, the, the humanitarian response, which is going to need to be enormous, um, would then follow and that a real government would be established. I mean, it is a failed state. And so just on the layers of this are, are many. It is very complex. Let's, um, let's pivot to, um, want to do, we probably have time for one more. Do you want to talk about Lebanon or do you want to talk about Algeria? Oh, let's talk Lebanon. Okay, great. Uh, Wonderful. I just want to say thank you uh, to those that have been praying for uh, a writer that was actually in Lebanon last week. Um, she, we did get her out safely. And it's just one of those situations where the protests have been largely peaceful, but because they're uh, they're comprised of some very unhappy people and angry people, it would take nothing to really turn this into something that would be very violent. Um, the situation being uh, that Lebanon is facing a huge economic crisis and the young people that are affected most by this, the people 40 and under, are unhappy with the way the government has been dealing with this same old, same old for generations. So they're saying we want change. The government is corrupt. We want a whole new government. And then last week, the prime minister said, all right, I'll, I'll leave if you settle things down. But that also means that you need a new government in place now. So there's a lot of key parts that are moving um, while all of this stuff is going on. And ministry is still taking place in spite of the fact that you have most of Beirut shut down. Um, in this situation, it's just more that you can't get places because there, there are a lot of people in the way. And so some ministry points have had to uh, close the offices because their staff can't get there to do the work that needs to be done. Um, but keep on praying for uh, these, 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 these protests remain peaceful, uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, the wisdom that the leaders are going to have to have to come up with a solution uh, to a very difficult crisis with an, with a, an emerging uh, refugee crisis over the top of that um, is it's just it's more than I would want to handle because it just seems like it's an impossible situation. And the World Bank is saying you have to deal with this now or you're going to go under. You will go. The, the government will be insolvent within a course of months now. Um, so you have a lot of issues that are facing Lebanon, and the ministry partners are still trying to get stuff done because there are still people who need their help. Oh, absolutely. And it's you know it it is the one place in the Middle East where Christians um, have historically you know been been quite safe, and Christianity has thrived, and that is. 
um, certainly uh, at risk as well. Um, Ruth Kramer, thank you so very much. We're going to direct people to mnnonline.org. Um, we want you to uh, pay attention to the stories about churches being forced to close in Algeria. We'll also be watching uh, here on this at this ministry website and this news network for information about what is happening with Christians in other places around the globe. So if you want to know what's happening with our brothers and sisters globally and those uh, who are seeking to serve in some of the hardest places, check it all out at mnnonline.org. Ruth, thank you again so very much. Thank you. We'll be right back. So uh, in terms of places around the world where we need to be giving our prayerful attention today, um, Bolivia maybe tops that list. It's in South America for those of us who maybe haven't paid attention to our geography of late. Um, The Bolivian president, Evo Morales, who has been in power for 14 years, has resigned um, following um, a disputed re-election last month, um, following lots of protests in the streets. We're now hearing... Um, everyone from the United Nations to uh, some of their closest neighbors there in South America urging people to um, uh, to remain peaceful, maybe. And so let's let's hope and pray that peace reigns, even in the midst of um, transition. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.